Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, what a privilege to be here, Spencer, Molly, and Bruce and Julie, and kids, Pastor Dan. Um, We were racing down the highway. We were just so glad to be here when we pulled up. What a beautiful facility. And how impressive that you're calling counselors to deal with all that we have going on in our culture in this time. And uh, I want to honor Spencer. My son Jonathan is an elder at our church. He is with me and many sleepovers at our home. We felt like we got to know you well. Godly home. Your mother and father in prayer for you always. And uh, you got honors in education and Christian leadership and excelled in everything. You should know that. You probably can tell. But especially in marriage, you married Molly, Molly Mitchell, uh, now Molly Thomas. A godly home and many sleepovers there with your twin brothers and one of our twins, Ethan. And a spiritual gem, really, you are for ministry And uh, remember your wedding in Psalm 121 and how the Lord has watched over you and kept you. So here you stand in grace, justified, pardoned of all your sins, declared righteous, but only for the righteousness of Christ, imputed to you, three beautiful children of promise, having finished seminary internship, licensure transfer from Missouri, Uh, up to Wisconsin, and ordination exams, and of all places, Green Bay Packer home. Did God really lead you? We're not sure. On the precipice of a new chapter, you're a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer ready to get going. And there are, you know, presbytery exams are really hard. Uh, it's difficult. There's these theological conundrums and so forth. For example, in the Chicago Presbytery, they're debating how one can be a Christian and be a Green Bay Packer fan. And now since you've passed, you could help them out over their conundrum. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 7. I'll try to make, you know, make this for all of us but also hone in a little bit uh, for the occasion. Thank you for letting me be here. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering 
as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Lord, we pray that what we don't know, you would teach us. What we don't do, help us turn around to do. We pray that we would be strengthened as we go to you now as the fountain of all grace to strengthen us for life and service and loving well. We pray especially for the this occasion that all would go smoothly and be edifying and that your weighty manifest presence and the outpouring of the Spirit would be here to honor the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's in prison. And we know from chapter 4 he is facing death. It is the end. It's the end. It's a swan song. And in chapter 1 here, several desertions had taken place. So people are leaving. He's in prison, facing death. And Bishop Mull from an earlier generation said, Christianity, humanly speaking, was on the verge of annihilation. So we tend to think things are just big because now we've come post-Christendom, but things were actually on the verge of annihilation. Somewhat like today, perhaps on the verge of capitulation. So he invests his last exhortation to Timothy, who's shy and weak. He said in Philippians 2, he had no one else who took a genuine interest in other people's welfare. That's Timothy. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, when he comes, see to it that you put him at ease for he is doing the work of the Lord. See to it that no one despise him. Help him on his way. I think Timothy was fragile and he's saying, see to it that you put him at ease when he comes. Timothy had tummy problems. Paul told him to drink a little wine. Maybe he was anxious. He was shy. He had weaknesses like you and I. And yet, the last person he writes to when Christianity is on the verge of annihilation is Timothy. It's five headings, but I won't preach long. I think I have 20, 30 minutes. I could go long if you want me to, but I know that may not be the case. So first off, a beloved child. Secondly, a vision of discipleship. Third, a source of strength. Fourth, a threefold picture of ministry. And fifth, a promise for becoming a sage. So number one, a Timothy. You, Spencer, are loved. Verse 1 says, 
you than my child? And in 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul called him my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, or son, spiritual son. It wasn't his biological son. It wasn't his real child. But he loved him so much. In chapter 1, he talked about tears and longing to see him. It was a very close relationship. And you, Spencer, are loved as a child. And many of you here are to be loved by others. Spencer was loved, is loved by his father and his mother, by pastors, Pastor Dan and others. And I think of Dave Keithley, Pastor Dave, and others who love you. Never mind what others are doing. Never mind if people desert. Never mind all your weaknesses. It's good to know you're loved. It's a great source of strength. Why are you loved? Because of chapter 1, 9, and 10. Who saved us? Christ, by the power of God, saved us and called us. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. He called us to this work. It's all grace. And he made sure you were loved. Now, if we stopped right at verse 1 and skipped over to verses 3 through 6, it would be absurd because... The second thing we notice in verse 2 is there's a vision. And so we're familiar with this perhaps. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So it's a life-on-life -life missional discipleship. There's four generations, Paul to Timothy, to faithful men, to others also. And many churches have a discipleship movement in their church. It's life on life. If you look at later in the, the uh, letter, chapter 3, verse 10 and following. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings, etc., etc., this is obviously not a one-time experience. It's in the aorist tense, which means past tense, continuous. You, Timothy, here's what you do. I've received a deposit. I've entrusted it to you. It wasn't all in one moment or anything like that, but it was life on life when I picked you up in Acts chapter 16. And we've been hanging together all these days. We've been separated. You're in Ephesus. I'm in jail. And however much I have been very thankful to think and believe God would use expository preaching, the truth is, I've discovered, it isn't until I get one-on-one. -on -one. It isn't until you get a counselor one-on-one. -on -one. It isn't until you get discipleship one-on-one -on -one that you realize people aren't really changing all that much. It's important. We give primacy to expository preaching of the gospel, but when I've gotten together with people, I realize they really aren't like men, let's say, for me, and we have women and men's groups, but I realize, wow, this guy's not really loving his wife well. 
He's, he's really not engaged in any way in communion with Christ. He has no prayer life. He doesn't really know the Bible. And as we meet one-on-one, -on -one, life on life, his life is transformed by the gospel all the more. So there's a vision. And the vision seems to mean that you don't have to do something fast and famous in order to matter, to quote my friend Zach. Or we might say that one thing, Spencer, is that young pastors, they tend to think, they tend to overestimate what they could do in the short run and underestimate what they can do through a lifelong ministry. And life on life and counseling ministry over a long life is tremendous in the hands of God. So ask God for faithful men and women. Give them a vision for how God can use them in the gospel transformation process. The third point is that there's a source of strength. In verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It only takes one generation for the gospel to turn into to this kind of discipleship counseling movement to pin its faith to its methods, to get into theology, to get into moralism and legalism, unless we continually go back and get fueled every day all the way through by grace, then it becomes something other than a movement of fueled by grace, which is usually fueled, fueled by methods or self-righteousness and all kinds of things. So, Grace, it's the passive command, be strengthened. So it's, it's obviously something that requires you to get in the means of grace, perhaps prayer and word, quality fellowship, to really keep fueled, to be strengthened, not by anything else, but by grace, to know your beloved and investing in lives so they can invest in others. The fourth heading I have here is a threefold picture for ministry. And we find that in verses 3 through 6. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes. A hard-working farmer. First, I'm sorry, verse 3 and 4 is a soldier, then an athlete, and then a farmer. Each has promised a reward, notice. C.S. Lewis said... There's these unblemishing rewards and that God finds our longings not too strong but too weak. And so let these metaphors motivate you. Spencer, you are to serve as a good soldier, willing to suffer, aiming to please Christ the commander. In order to defeat evil in people's lives. You can't be committed to self-protection at the cost of opening yourself up to pain, courageously and boldly confronting people with kindness, inviting them to grace. But you know that in counseling more than I do. You're trained at that, to disrupt, to invite, and to envision a future for people's lives. It takes courageous, bold love. Spencer, you are to 
serve as an athlete. I think of running. I watch the ISU runners, the men running. They're farmer snots and their skin lean bodies and they, they, they look like they're insane running in a pack like that. And I used to do that. I used to do that in high school and college at Purdue. And sometimes I wonder like, why am I doing this? I would leave home on the day of a meet and pet my dog named Maxwell Smart and I'd long to be a dog and just stay home. And I'd come to the starting line and I would long to just go home and watch Gilligan's Island in color. What are we doing here? Well, you know, training as an athlete changes everything, Spencer. It changes your diet, how much you sleep. You start getting into every detail of your life so that you can win a crown. Spencer, you're also to be, your ministry is to portray a hardworking farmer. And we have so many pastors at our church, and I always thought, you know, when we hire, if anything, the most important thing is, are you going to work hard? And to work hard as a farmer in those days, you're dependent on God for the reign of the Holy Spirit, we might say. You're casting gospel seed. You have to put your hand to the plow and not look back or you'll, you'll make crazy lines. You have to go for it. You have to work hard. But it's a privilege to be able to share in the first rewards of the harvest that God gives you. So a beloved child, a vision, a source of strength, threefold picture, and finally a promise. To me, this is the most beautiful promise for a counselor Think over, meditate what, on what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Counselors to me are like these wise sages that we can go to where the Bible doesn't say like who to marry and how to retire and how to live life through each season. I love going to counselors who help me think outside of the box and apply scripture with wisdom. You, I want to go to somebody who has wisdom. And this here is a promise that, like Psalm 1, that as you meditate on this, as you meditate on how loved you are, as you meditate on your vision for investing your life and multiplying, as you meditate on your source of strength being grace every day, and you have that supply in Christ Jesus, as you meditate on this threefold a picture of ministry that it's like a soldier, it's like an athlete, it's like a hard-working farm as you think over and thank God for metaphors. What if he just told us work hard, suffer, aim to please Christ? But a metaphor opens it up like what is a farmer? They seem to get up early and they, they're dependent. What if they don't have a good season and they save up and they do all kinds of, what is an athlete in those days? What is a soldier and so forth? As you can meditate on these things over and over, a metaphor opens the door to so much more for you to apply in your life. And the promise is that you become a sage. You become understanding in everything. What a blessing.
none of this is quickly obtained. It's rather, you'll become a seasoned counselor, a sage, through daily meditation and strengthening of grace. And I commend to you the wonderful uh, definition in knowing God of J.I. Packer, who has the best definition on meditation I've ever read. And perhaps that would be something you put in your prayer journal, which I won't read now because of time. Well, now how should we land this plane? And we find that Paul lands the plane the way we ought to in verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So how shall we remember Jesus Christ this morning? Well, we remember him as the beloved son, chosen and loved by the Father. We remember him as a warrior who came to crush Satan's head on the cross and bind the strong man so that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And we remember him as intentionally investing his life into faithful men and women who would be able to carry on the work after he has gone. And we remember him as always working, always sowing and casting the gospel seed, always about his father's business. Or as an athlete in Hebrews 12.1, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame to see us on the other side. And we think of his wisdom one greater than Solomon just blew people away with his answers and questions and parables and metaphors. And we remember his death. There he defeated evil. There he delivered us from guilt and shame. There on the cross he teaches us to look and to be saved, to find mercy and love. We see his love and he discipled and won and wrought for the church a gospel ministry and eternal life. So remember Christ Jesus, now risen from the dead, poured out his spirit successively over and over and continues to raise up labors to remember these things and to remember him. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for this church and the people here and the leadership. Especially today, we thank you for Spencer Thomas and seek to see him raised up and glorious as a laborer, as an ordained servant and pastor. And we pray that you would Use this time in his memory to always be a special occasion of grace and of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we have the privilege of participating in an ordination service. And it is 
like this. First, there'll be questions to Spencer, and there'll be questions asked to you as a congregation. This will be followed by elders coming up and laying hands on Spencer and setting him apart for ministry. There'll be a pronouncement by Pastor Dan of his ordination and reception into the eldership. And then there'll be a brief charge to Spencer, congregation and encouragement to Molly. And finally, Pastor Spencer, Reverend Spencer, will come up, lead in communion, and give a benediction to close our service. So the nature of this moment is weighty and meaningful. Its importance is to be remembered in the church's memory as as grace, I mean as a holy special time for all her history. If I could have the elders and deacons come forward, as well as Spencer, and uh, the smarts would come on up okay. as well. That would be wonderful. So we will start by asking ordination questions of Spencer. And uh, why don't you go ahead and stand over there, Spencer. We'll have everyone else stand over here. There's a little bit more room. And I believe here, Tim, I will give you a microphone. And then, Ted, I will give you a microphone as well. There you go. Hold down the button to turn it on. Uh, So these are the questions for ordination, Spencer. You should be well acquainted with them. Uh, You've studied them in uh, detail. Uh, The first question is, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant, meaning free from error, Word of God, the only infallible, meaning never failing, rule of faith and practice. Spencer, do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to the Presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. Spencer, do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical church government and structure? Spencer, do you promise to place yourself under the authority of your brethren in the Lord? Spencer, have you been persuaded, as far as you know your own heart, to seek the office of the holy ministry from a love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Spencer, do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and unity of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account. Spencer, do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, private or public, 
and to endeavor, meaning work with all of your effort, by the grace of God, to adorn and make beautiful the profession of the gospel in your manner of life, and to walk with exemplary devotion before the flock of which God shall make you overseer. Spencer, are you now willing to take charge of this church, agreeable to your declaration when accepting their call? And do you, relying upon God for strength, promise to perform it, the duties of a pastor? Now we have questions for the congregation. If Jacob's Well is your church home, would you please raise your right hand? And if you agree with the questions asked, please say, by God's grace, we do. Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Spencer Thomas, whom you have called to be your assistant pastor? Church. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Church, do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Church, do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor, that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised, meaning you will pay him, and to furnish <laughs> him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you. Amen. Thank you. Spencer, if you could go ahead and take a knee right here. And gentlemen, if you would place a hand upon Spencer. And let's take a moment uh, to pray, and feel free to pray as the Lord leads you. If you could grab the microphone, or if you want to hold the microphone here, and then, um, there we go. And then I will close us in prayer in a little bit. So pray for Spencer as the Lord leads you. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for Spencer. We thank you for all the hard work and the time and effort that he has put in and, and how his family has supported him in, in those efforts to, to, to reach this point, to, initiate, to be commissioned to, uh, um, to, to, to lead and to serve in your church for your glory. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing Spencer and his family here to Green Bay. Lord, as he is set apart to do your work, to do kingdom work here at Jacob's Well, but also throughout the greater area as he provides a service and ministers to those in this church and in this community, I ask that you would guard him and protect him. Lord, would you keep him uh, fully reliant upon your grace fully reliant upon your love. Lord, may he uh, repeatedly go back to that well and just mm -hmm. dwell in it so that as he deals and wrestles with the enemy and the forces of this present darkness, Lord, that, that he would stand strong upon your foundation and that he would be able to point many others to you that, that as he goes to your well, Lord, that mm -hmm. the gospel that is offered to all of us would be proclaimed mightily and that it would transform this church and this city and also the world. Mm -hmm. 
Father, the world is in desperate need of your word and your gospel, Lord, and we're so thankful that you've sent Spencer um, to us. We're thankful, Lord, for um, the gifts that you've given him and for the calling that you've given to him, especially in, in counseling and, and pastoral care. And Father, he is a frontline worker in a time that is uh, uh, changing, and so, Lord, we ask that you give him courage for the facing of this hour. Lord, we pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the filling upon Spencer to equip him and set him apart and use him mightily in revival and transformation, in healings, in deliverances from evil. May he see fruit in all his efforts. And we pray your word would be powerful in his heart as a sufficient means for ministry. And we pray that he would uh, sense your support, that you would keep him from melancholy or over-anxiety or burnout or temptation, that you would keep him from falling, that he would be faithful and run his race in such a way as to win the prize, and that you would give him a very fruitful, lifelong ministry, give him lots of wisdom to be like a godly sage in his later years. Bless his family and, and give them a love for the church. Lord God, we do thank you for bringing Spencer here and we do lift up him and his ministry, God, but we also pray for his family. We pray for Molly that you would uh, give her strength to support Sp Spencer in this calling and protect her heart against potential bitterness with those in the church that may hurt Spencer, Lord. And God, we do pray uh, that you would just, again, draw Spencer back to yourself, Lord, that before being a pastor, he would be a Christian and that he would come to you uh, for his daily bread, Lord, and that he would drink from the fountain of grace and then spill it over to those who you've called him to minister to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Spencer, we offer to you the right hand of fellowship. Hold on. Oh, 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 just a minute, just a second. I know, we don't do this every day. Welcome, brother. Go ahead and face the congregation right here. I now pronounce and declare that Spencer Thomas has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed pastor of this congregation agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now let us praise the Lord and welcome Spencer as our pastor here at Jacobswell Church. Praise God, brother. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Pastor Smart is going to have a charge for Spencer, an encouragement to Molly, and then I will have a charge to the congregation. Uh, don't worry, these are not 30-minute sermons. <laughs> these, are, these are brief uh, charges and encouragements.
Spencer, in the same letter, the Apostle Paul said, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This fanning into flame is a constant thing. Fan in this flame, this gift. The more you use your gifts, the more it seems more come. I can't wait to see you blossom. We need good writers. Maybe you'll, sorry Molly, you might be interested in a PhD, but (laughs) we'll see. Um, But I am praying that God mightily use you. I pray for you every morning. And um, this fear is, is a terrible thing. It leads to depression. It leads to anxiety and so forth. And it's a real deal. But God gave you a spirit of love. Should never run from anybody. Not fight them. Not flight. Just move towards them for their welfare. And next to the Holy Spirit, A.W. Tozer says, love is our greatest weapon. And it's courageous. And you can, you can do this, this work. I don't know what all to say so fast, but you're in good hands here, I can sense. I want to just encourage Molly for a few minutes just to say, you're Spencer's wife, and you, you matter. You matter so much to a pastor to be a good wife. You're special to the church. And you influence, your influence on Spencer will be more profound than people realize. Use your voice. Pray. As a mother of three children of promises who will tell everything to the nursery workers about what happens in the privacy of your home, invest in them. Trust God for regeneration. They're born again and screw the gospel into their little brains, realizing they, they, they don't need to be just like you and Spencer. I hope you teach them to love the church, the people, to love the church. And maybe you'll need discretion not to talk as a couple about challenges in ministry. And uh, I think of Luther's wife, Katie, he called her my rib. They had a lot of humor. Sometimes Martin would be so depressed, he would just pour salt on the table and keep writing the letter B that he was baptized. One day, Katie came down, Molly, and she was dressed all in black. And Martin looked up and said, Katie, my dear, has somebody died and I didn't know it? She said, oh, yeah. Martin Luther died. And she would challenge his depression and make him laugh. When you come home, leave the church behind if you can and make it a fun home that would strengthen you for going back and giving it a go again. The Lord bless both of you.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord use you mightily. May your children be born again. May they marry true believers. May you have godly grandchildren and godly grandchildren in the Lord. May you see many generations walk with God as a result of your marriage and ministry here uh, when you are old. Amen. I have been given uh, the privilege to give a charge to the congregation on how uh, you should now engage with your pastor, Spencer Thomas. Uh, throughout church history, there has been uh, a lot of clergy who have abused their authority in the church in many ways, and many times it makes the news even today. And because of that, there has been a skepticism over the authority of of pastors, and some of that skepticism is very good because pastors too need accountability. But unfortunately, what has happened is that for many, the, the pendulum has completely swung to the other direction uh, to the point where, where elders have no authority at all over people's lives and practice as they seek to minister the word of God. But the Bible says something quite different. In Hebrews chapter 13, this is what God's word says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obedience and submission to leaders is often seen as a signal of weakness. Contrastingly, a spirit of defiance is also seen as strength. And yet the Bible says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obedience and submission to authority is difficult for all of us. All of us have authority that God has put over us to be obedient to and to submit to. And it is difficult because we obey and we submit, not when we agree, but when we disagree. Submission doesn't mean that we don't ask good questions. It doesn't mean we don't challenge certain things that pastors say. But it does mean in the end, unless Spencer calls you to do something sinful, you submit and you obey. Now, why should we submit and obey? Well, the, the verse continues and it says, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. Spencer, along with the elders of Christ, are called to be under shepherds. Christ is the chief shepherd and we are called to be under shepherds, to keep watch over your soul. This means, like a shepherd, Spencer is called to provide rest and refreshment and nourishment for your soul. But he's also to defend you against the enemy of lies and of heresy. And he's also to provide correction and discipline for your own safety. Spencer is to keep watch over your soul. This is a serious charge from the Lord for which he says Spencer will have to give an account to Christ himself. Could you imagine the day that is coming for Spencer, for myself, for the other elders, where we will have to give an account to Jesus for how we have cared for his bride, the church, how we have loved her and cared for her and challenged her with love and truth. Again, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. As far as you can control, 
make Spencer's calling a joy. Endeavor to love Spencer well, care for Spencer well, submit to Spencer well, in such a way that when Spencer sees your caller ID, he does not say, oh no, but he says, oh boy. (laughs) At the end, in 17, God says that we are to obey and submit to our leaders who shepherd our soul because this is to our advantage. How is it to our advantage? It is to our advantage because as we allow Spencer to fulfill his calling to be a pastor, to speak gospel truths over us, it is not only to our own advantage to hear someone lovingly correct us and lead us in paths of righteousness, but it is also to our advantage as we help Spencer enjoy the calling that he has to minister to God's people faithfully with love and compassion and truth. And so Jacob's Well Church, this is your charge, not from Pastor Dan, but from God Almighty. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that you would empower us as a church to love Spencer and support Spencer in this calling, to submit to Spencer when we don't agree, but also to pray for Spencer faithfully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.